Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. Some soldiers only feel at home on the battlefield. They know peace when a weapon is in their hand and pointed at their enemy. Those who make it out of the military still carry a piece of it with them forever. It's etched onto them like a tattoo. For William, the battlefield was more than a home. It was everything. He was born in Wiltshire, England in 1620 and couldn't wait to become a soldier. At the age of just 13, he enlisted and fought for King Charles I. By the time he turned 22, William had already become a seasoned fighter. In October of 1642, the young soldier joined 15,000 of his brothers to fight in the first battle of the English Civil War, known as the Battle of Edge Hill. The first day of fighting left hundreds dead and wounded. After a chilly night of rest, both sides reconvened the next morning to continue the fray. Unfortunately, nobody felt like fighting any longer. The Battle of Edge Hill didn't bode well for the rest of the Civil War, which ended almost a decade later with King Charles's execution. Lord Protector Oliver Cromwell would rule the new English Republic for the next 11 years. William, now 31, retired to a peaceful life, until Cromwell's death in 1658. The age of the Republic was now over, and Charles's son, Charles II, had become king like his father. The new Charles led his kingdom for almost 30 years, His passing in 1685, however, left the throne vacant, as he had not produced an heir during his reign. Instead, his brother, James II, took his place. This put Parliament on edge. James was a Roman Catholic, and with him as king, there was a possibility of England rejoining with Rome. To prevent this from happening, Parliament asked William III, the Dutch Prince of Orange, to take the throne. He obliged, moving in and forcefully taking England, Ireland, and Scotland away from James. But King James wasn't about to go down without a fight. He planned an invasion of Ireland as a way to reclaim what he felt was rightfully his. Meanwhile, William was ready. He joined William of Orange's forces to take on the former king. In March of 1689, King James marched into Ireland with France's help, which kicked off the Williamite War in Ireland. He managed to hold Ireland for a short time through several key battles, hoping to spin his victory into a takeover of England and Scotland as well. But William of Orange's army was too much for James, and William was there for all of it. For two and a half years, the 72-year-old soldier fought on behalf of the Republic and helped them win the war. And then another age of peace broke out, and William retired again, but not for good. His services would be required again in 1709 during the War of the Spanish Succession. Spain and France were going to unite, which would have threatened England's power. In what would become his final and most important fight, William and 161,000 other troops gathered on the French border for the Battle of Malpaquet. He joined up with the Royal Scots Regiment and fought alongside one of the youngest participants he'd ever seen, the three-week-old son of one Private McMain who fought with his baby on his back. The 89-year-old William's valiant efforts helped Great Britain defeat France and stop the Union. 
It seemed that the time had finally come for the octogenarian to hang up his uniform for good. As thanks for his service, William was made a sergeant and given a comfortable pension of two crowns per week. Not a bad legacy for a man who literally spent his entire life fighting in wars. But it didn't stop there. William found love several years later. He married a much younger woman when he was 103. Their time together was short, though, as she passed away before him in the early 1730s. He wouldn't grieve for long, though. The super-soldier himself died not long after, at the ripe old age of 111. William Heslin had cheated death for over 100 years. But his time had come. He might have had more love for the battlefield than most. But no soldier can fight forever. Be careful what you put out into the world. A careless statement can spell disaster down the road. James was a humble shoemaker from the town of Leamington in Warwickshire, England. He owned a small shop in town and enjoyed a regular drink at his local pub. Unfortunately, James suffered from two bad habits. He liked to drink, and he liked to gamble. The problem was that he only gambled when he drank. On the afternoon of September 3rd, 1873, James was in the pub with a few of his drinking buddies. He'd already had a few pints when he started bragging about what a great athlete he was. He bet that he could run from Leamington to Coventry and back again on the same day. It would be a round trip of 40 miles, but James didn't care. He was ready to prove himself for the grand prize of one sovereign, a gold coin worth about one British pound. James headed out toward Coventry with three men from the pub following behind him in a horse-drawn cart. There was the unknown man that he had made the bet with, as well as a merchant named Barnum Wise, and a photographer by the name of Hammerson Burns. James seemed to be doing pretty well for the first few miles. He was bright and alert, showing no signs of slowing down. Not bad, considering how drunk he'd been when he started the contest. But he was also egged on by the three men behind him, who did their best to motivate him by poking fun. Then, without warning, James tripped over something in the road. He fell forward and shouted out. The men got out of their cart to check on their friend, but they couldn't see anything. James was gone. He hadn't left an imprint in the dirt where he'd landed because he had never landed in the first place. It was as though he had evaporated instantly. Burns, Wise, and the unnamed third man searched the area for some time before accepting that James was gone, and gone for good. They climbed into the carts and rode back to town, unsure of what they were going to tell everyone. The police heard their story, but they didn't buy it. Instead, they arrested the men for James's disappearance and possible murder. The trio were questioned again. The police conducted an investigation, talking to character witnesses and other people in town, hoping to find some kind of motivation for the killing. But the authorities couldn't find anything. And because the men had no prior records and were thought highly of in town, the charges were dropped and the men were released. Sadly, James Warson was never found, which makes sense, seeing as how he had never existed in the first place. He was the main character of a short story, written in 1888 by author and journalist Ambrose Bierce. Throughout Bierce's 72 years on Earth, he produced almost 250 short stories and over a thousand other works. It's fair to say that he was prolific. He was also ahead of his time, so to speak. Bierce had fought for the Union Army during the American Civil War. 
50 years and many published works later, in 1913, he took a trip down through Louisiana and Texas on a tour of old Civil War battlegrounds, before ending up in Mexico. While south of the border, Bierce saw war once again during the Mexican Revolution, as part of Pancho Villa's army. He didn't fight, though. He was merely an onlooker, watching Villa's rebellion overcome state forces during the Battle of Tierra Blanca. Afterward, he followed Villa for several months, eventually arriving in the city of Chihuahua. It was during his stop there in December of 1913 when Bierce wrote a letter to a colleague back home, Blanche Partington. He ended his letter with these words, As for me, I leave here tomorrow for an unknown destination. It was the last thing he ever wrote. Just like his character of James Warson, Ambrose Bierce disappeared and was never heard from again. Stories spread throughout Mexico as to what might have happened to him, but no one has the definitive answer. He simply vanished into thin air. And if that's not a case of foreshadowing coming true, I don't know what is. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.